Cool. So, welcome to our podcast. My name is Wes Moncrief. I'm a software engineer um, currently at MasterCard, although I was hired into a company called Applied Predictive Technologies. And I've got about just about three years of experience, um, plus two days actually. And um, Kevin, you want to introduce yourself? Yep. Um, kind of the same story there. I'm Kevin Wee. Um, I've also worked at MasterCard for the last, you know, four years, um, overlapping with Wes for three years. Uh, we've worked on similar teams in the past and similar projects. And uh, yeah, we're all both excited about system design. Cool. So we're making this podcast. Um, the original inspiration is that I was trying to prepare for the system design interview. And uh, I was looking for a podcast to listen to as I went about my day. So I thought that'd be a nice way to kind of let some of this content sink in. And there wasn't one that I could find. So I reached out to Kevin about making one ourselves. And we're kind of figuring this will be, um, one, it'll be like good interview practice for us in preparation. And two, hopefully it can be useful to other people as well. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, my motivation too. Um, also looking for, you know, system design prep as well as just being able to produce something with Wes, you know? Yeah. We're also, I think, both pretty interested in the design of systems in general. So I think it's a topic that we're both just like happy to think about regardless of interview perhaps itself. Um, anyways, I guess some like, or notes of, you know, business or like some notes where we get into the business, uh, is, one is that we're both learning here and we'll probably be getting better. So if you're trying to do like a crash course of uh, preparation, we probably recommend that you start with whatever the most recent episode we made is, um, as hopefully we've improved over time. Hopefully we're improving um, over time. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, other note is that Kevin will be getting a new microphone at some point in the next few episodes, um, assuming that we are successful with this podcast uh, getting produced. So there will be a upgraded sound quality if that is an issue to anyone. Yep. Um, hopefully within the next couple of episodes. Um, I was going to say, we thought like for the first episode, we would just kind of start light and, um, you know, all the, the episodes that we're doing will kind of change in format. But uh, the, for the first episode, we can start with some sort of um, system design interview where I uh, mock interview Wes with a classic system design question. Uh, and then give feedback as well as iterate with him on, you know, thought processes and all that sort of thing. Yeah, I will say I might um, draw a little bit on the shared Google Doc we have. And if I do make any, like, drawings, I'll be sure to put it in the show notes afterwards, put a link in the show notes. Um, but I think most of this should probably be communicable via audio only. Um, so don't feel like if you're driving, you need to stop the car or worse, not stop the car and look <laughs> at it. Pull up your image. phone. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, All right. with, that, with that being said, then I guess that's a good segue. So we're using Google Doc to keep track of, you know, all our photos and all notes. And that really got me thinking about, you know, what is the mechanism behind Google Docs? Um, you know, how would you design some sort of collaborative editing tool uh, that can scale across like multiple users? Um, so I guess the, the big question is like just laying out, you know, what is Google Docs in general? Like what are the specs? Um, that are sort of required to support Google Doc-like functionality. Um, I'll leave this sort of open-ended for Wes to kind of discuss. Um, we can just kick it off from there. Cool. Um, so I guess the first thing that I probably want to do is narrow down some of the actual use cases we want to build. I'm sure Google Docs has a million different features, and you probably can't 
talk through all of them in the next however long this is going to take. Um, so I guess like as a couple of I don't know initial ideas, there's things like um, probably important ones are you know um, inputting and saving text, um, uh, and then another important feature is kind of you know live updates. Another is maybe permissioning um, pages so that only the right people can see it. Um, another one is maybe exporting pages to either you know a PDF or uh, whatever kind of file you want. Um, I'm sure there's more, but are any of those or something I didn't mention um, features that you want to highlight and, and focus on? Yeah, that seems reasonable. Like we can start with just to keep it kind of simple, like the four requirements, uh, which are you know like you mentioned, users can edit and view the document. They can like up upload images, photos, videos, and whatever form that they want. Um, there can be collaborative editing uh, going on. I actually did do this lookup, and then apparently you can have up to 100 um, people editing a Google Doc at the same time. You know, our system should be able to support at least that number. Um, and then other things to think through uh, is like concurrency of up, like, like I mentioned, concurrency of up to 100 users, uh, access control, which you've mentioned earlier. Uh, so, so, so those are the big, big four. Um, why don't we focus on, you know, just a couple of those to start, uh, and we can break it apart into other episodes if they do take longer. Sure. Um, do you want to start with the maybe edit and view and then also, uh, collaborative editing, maybe? So it's kind of like they go hand in hand. Yeah. I, I really do think like collaborative editing and concurrency is, is sort of like the bread and butter of Google Docs and it, and what makes it like interesting relative to like other systems. Right. So we can start with those two for sure. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Um, let's talk about numbers. You mentioned a hundred people are still editing um, a single page. Um, do you know maybe how many uh, users that we want to support in general? Like how many people have a Google account here? Um, what do you mean by support? Do you mean like editing at the same time or like being able to view the page? Uh, I guess how many users would we expect to be to have an entry in our like you know users dbo.users table um and also how many users would be online at the same time on on any number of uh, documents i see yeah so for google docs uh you can support up to you know 100 users editing at the same time so they you know we, we talked about access control let's just assume that like at any get on any given document you can have up to 100 individuals with the ability to edit the page and you can have, you know, as many people as you really want to, to be able to view this page. Um, okay. Sorry. I meant like, uh, if, you know, how many people are logged onto docs.google.com at three o'clock in the afternoon? I see. Okay. Well, I mean, we can scale with, you know, Google, I don't have statistics on hand, but I imagine it's in the realm of like, you know, millions. Okay. So millions of concurrent users, uh, you know, on any page. Okay. And I'll assume there's, you know, tens of millions of um, users that exist in general. Um, okay. And you said up to any number of um, people viewing a single file at once uh, with hundred editors. Uh, let's see what other numbers do we want? Um, I guess let's think through like how many, how, how big that our kind of database needs to be. So I'll just, you know, spitball some assumptions here and feel free to um, change these if, if you have different ideas, but let's say, I don't know, maybe, you know, let's say we have um, 10 million users um, that would that own a doc. Um, 
Um, let's say each of those owns 20 docks. So that means we have uh, 200 million uh, documents that exist um, in our database. Uh, and, you know, growing at, I don't know, some rate of probably a million, maybe a half million a day. I don't know. Something around that era. era. Does that make sense? Sure. Those numbers seem reasonable to me. Cool. Um, and I'm assuming that we have global users and what else? I guess in terms of the concurrent editing, um, how, I guess, I'm trying to think if we have a hundred people editing a document at once, they should get very, very quick updates on what others are uh, editing, right? So like, Probably, hopefully, less than a second, and for each, um, you know, so less than one second update of edits. So, you know, if you change a letter, I should see it within a second. Um, yeah, a second seems like the upper bound there. Cool. Uh, let's see. You know, and I think we can, we, since we're on a Google Doc, we can actually do some testing ourselves of trying to, you know, break <laughs> and see how fast you know edits go through, um, and that might give give you a sense of you know you know what kind of um, constraints we're working with. So I'm just going to write a, write a quick line. Do I have, I actually don't, do not have editing access. So I'm going to request access. Okay. Give access. I will say that you, uh, our voices have about a half second delay. Um, when we did the count, you were about one number behind me. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. Uh, okay, cool. I will write, I'm going to, I'm going to write a line real quick. Do you want to just like say a letter and type it at the same time you say it? Um, I'm still waiting on access, actually. Uh, I think I gave it. Try refreshing. Oh, sorry. Editor. There you go. Cool. So, let's see. Let's edit on this line. A dog ran over a quick fox. Um, but I'm, oh, sorry. I'm, did you do that again? Yep. A <laughs> dog ran over a quick fox. So how much yeah, lag was there? It's very fast. It's very fast. It was the same time you were speaking, which was about like we said, your speech your speech is about half second flagged over the wire. So probably about a half second, yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe a second at most. Yeah, it'd be kinda of cool if, you know, cool. the the audio sort of lagged behind the text. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that'd be fun. Okay. So I think that's a good amount of information. I guess we'll find if there's any numbers that we need along the way. We can figure those out. Um, so the first thing that we'll note is that, you know, we're going to need a load balancer, um, just to throw that out up front, um, because we have so much traffic. Um, I, so I guess when we, when we start to connect to web servers, obviously these are going to have to be, you know, replicated. Um, we're going to have to have a, Cluster web servers because I mean, just based on the volume of traffic we're dealing with, um, no one server can handle that. I'm actually thinking about how um, do we want like do we want to have users that are maybe like one user in Brazil, one user is in uh, I don't know Europe, and they're trying to edit the same page. 
should those users be connecting to the same web server or a different web server? Um, I think the, I think that you know it's a little unfortunate that we're going to have more lag over distance, um, but yeah, I, I, I think, think that I think keep things reasonable. Yeah, I was going to say I, I think you know the, the, like looking at like you know how to design this distributed system uh, would be sort of interesting, but I think I'm less interested in in that aspect and more interested in like, like, you know, the microservice that need to be involved, the data model that needs to be involved, you know, the, the mechanism for which we support, you know, making edits to edits to a page and having it show up for that user in Brazil and for that user in Europe. Okay. Yeah, cool. Um, so I think on that route, I think that we want any, uh, I guess, first of all, we're probably gonna have like, our backend is probably going to be a, um, I don't know, maybe let's say there's a SQL database that has kind of information about the documents that exist. We can imagine like some tables such as, I don't know, like users and documents with metadata about the, do- the documents, such as who has permission, who has, you know, who owns it, all that kind of stuff. But the documents themselves, I think we're going to want a document storage database. Um, so a NoSQL database, um, as the name implies, that'll kind of some of the advantages there that I really like are one, it's, you know, quick access to the document and it, it scales really well. Um, because this is, you know, the actual documents themselves are certainly going to need to be, um, distributed across multiple, um, database servers. So I think at a high level, when someone goes to, uh, edit or view a database, um, or sorry, view a document, um, I think we definitely want to check a cache, um, or like so we want we want to employ a cache, right? So uh, maybe we say we have like an in-memory document uh, storage cache, like memcached um, or Redis. And basically, if we don't find our document that we want there, um, based on getting the document ID from our SQL database, then we're going to um, you know go to the go to the NoSQL database, get that document, and put it in the in the cache. And once it's in the cache, I think that's going to be the place that um, other people who are trying to edit the document and view the document are going to be modifying the document. Um, I think that the cool thing there is that if that cache is just considered a, um, basically a source of truth, maybe for the document, like I'm imagining that if I'm on my computer and I type, you know, a couple letters, um, pretty much any letter I type is going to be sent over an open connection to, um, the web server that that makes that change on the document, and um, at the same time that it makes the change, it's going to the the other clients who have an open connection to the web server. Um, it's going to notify the you know a process to send the updated version or maybe the diff of the document to uh, the other clients. Does that make sense? That's really interesting. Are you thinking that like the approach that we'd be taking is that Google Docs would send in basically, you know, every single edit. So if you add a character, it would send that over, um, you know, just uh, constantly. Or would you, or is your I'm approach thinking, you're thinking of like more of like wait for a certain n- number of diffs to build up and then send that as a patch? I think we probably on the client side, we probably need some batching just to keep things a little bit reasonable. Um, you know, you can imagine, especially copy paste would probably be a problem if I copy pasted a big document. Like, we don't want to send individual, every individual character. So maybe we wait like 
you know, a hundred milliseconds, maybe a tenth of a second, something like that. And then every tenth of a second on the client side, we look at the um, basically inputs that we have made to our document or the edits we've made, and we send that to the back end. I see. Which then, yeah. So the, oh, okay. So I think that's cool. If we have like kind of the front end keep track of the the edits we've made, like in terms of you know, yeah, just like it's kind of like a diffy, right? Um, and send it to the back end. The back end can one, it can very easily apply that diff to its um, document that it's storing. But also, it's pretty easy now for the back end to send that same diff to all the other clients that are logged in at the same time. Yep, that makes sense. And if, so you're saying the batching is happening every like one tenth second, right? I think functionally, that's probably the same as like sending every character because I imagine, you know, people cannot really type that fast individually, right? Um, for, for that. Yeah, I think you can probably type. Uh, yeah, like you can probably type, I don't know, 20 characters, 10. Yeah, probably about 10 characters a second, maybe. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah, yeah, it probably just helps some edge cases, such as like copying and pasting and stuff like that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Cool. How would, cool. how would these, um, I guess if we're sending like basically batches or character by character, um, edits, how would that be represented, um, you know, in, in our system? Uh, where would it be stored? You you mentioned something about like a NoSQL database. Do you do you still feel like that's the appropriate storage structure, uh, given that we're going to be applying these patches uh, pretty frequently? Yeah. So I I don't think that we want to be updating the NoSQL database very often. I think that we want to like say I add a couple characters mm-hmm. and it sends it to the to the backend. I think that you know let's let's assume that the the document was in the cache and you know, like you know memcached uh, cache. I think we want to apply the edits there and then, you know, send the edit diff to the other clients that are logged in right now. Um, but then at some asynchronous cadence, um, we should flush that kind of, um, cached version back to the SQL database, the NoSQL database. I see. Um, and I think that's okay because any user, like we said, who's trying to read this, like they maybe open up a new browser on the computer to try to read this because it's already in the cache, they're going to pull the cached version. So they'll get the most recent copy. I see. So in, in, in your NoSQL database, every entry in the database is going to be like one full document. And when we edit, we're going to basically, uh, there's going to be some sort of service that kind of reads in, um, you know, the current documentation and applies the diff that's, you know, that, that's in the Redis cache or, you know, save off the, what's in the Redis cache into the NoSQL database, right? Yeah, exactly. And I guess if we're concerned about, um, you know, if that asynchronous process were to take too long, you know, take a couple minutes or whatever, and in the meanwhile, um, the the server holding the Redis cache died. We we would lose that. So I think maybe what we want to do there is like uh, get a some kind of like a persisted um, uh, storage to record the diffs that we're sending. That way, in case if we do um, you know lose that server, we don't lose the work we've made in the meanwhile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I'm I'm curious as to like, you know, just for the viewers, like what the difference between like NoSQL and like a typical, um, uh, a, a typical R, R, RDMS database would uh, would be like what the difference is and why you would choose one over the other. Yeah, I think uh, there's a few differences, and actually, from what I've seen, a lot of the features of of one type have actually been kind of to a degree implemented in the other. So it's not like 
a lot of things you can actually you could accomplish with both, but the general kind of strengths of each are that um, NoSQL databases are not like they basically don't really join. Um, like if you're trying to do a bunch of joins or relational operations, you're gonna have a bad time and performance is gonna be pretty poor. Um, although, like I said, some actually do have kind of indexes and things like that. But the the advantage of them is that they scale really easily, right? Because basically, all you it's basically a, a dictionary, like a, a hash map of um, you know, key to a value, right? So if you have a simple key value lookup, it's a great way to store things and it's very sensible. Um, whereas a SQL database is very relational. So if you think like you're going to be doing queries with filters or with joins to other tables, um, that's going to be a real strength of a SQL database. But kind of a downside is that scaling takes a lot of work. So, you know, for example, if your documents table has, you know, 200, permissioned people ID, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be kind of tough to scale, and 200 million is kind of a big number for that. Um, so I don't... I actually, I'm not sure if a standard um, like SQL table would be the right solution here. We might need something like a big table from Google or some kind of other big data storage um, solution, but uh, we, could, we could at least write the where clause against, like, you know, where user ID equals X and not have to... Um, scan the whole table because we could have indexes you know yeah i I imagine filtering is not going to be like a huge requirement uh in you know this google doc system right especially filtering what do you mean by filtering so you know adding a where clause um is not going to be like a huge requirement the ability to like join multiple documents you know tables that store documents together and filter um so I think NoSQL seems like the right approach if we were to, you know, store off the entire document, right? Um, yeah, sorry. I, I guess I, I don't know if I clarified. I think I wasn't speaking very clearly, but I, I was imagining there's two tables, right? Or like one, two databases. One is the NoSQL for like storing the actual document itself. Mm-hmm. The other is the SQL database for storing the metadata about the document. Yep. No, that makes sense to me. Um, yep. Um, I guess something else to kind of mention is if you if you look at the menu of Google Doc. Um, I think there should be one panel that lets you kind of step back through history. Um, that kind of reminds me of, you know, a system like Git, right? Um, are you familiar with like how Git ends up storing, you know, data in general? Yeah. Um, do you want to mention it to the viewers though, real quick? I guess they're more listening than viewing, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to the listeners. Yep. So I don't think Git actually keeps track of, um, you know, the entirety of the documentation, it just keeps track of these blobs that represents like the diff between, you know, changes that you've made. So whenever you do a, you know, git commit that creates a new blob and then the document is actually formed by constructing the history of these blobs together. Um, I imagine that, you know, for Google Docs, um, I don't know how it's implemented, but I feel like there's some similarities between git that Google Docs probably ex- extracts from in this case where, you know, maybe it's not necessary to store off the entire document if you have enough blobs representing history. And if you're keeping track of like the diffs uh, between edits for synchronizing documents to begin with, um, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. that diff approach actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I will say as a, I know, I think Git actually, it's not, I don't know if this is what you were trying to say, but it doesn't actually store the diffs 
between commits. It, it stores the whole commit, but it doesn't, it doesn't duplicate data. It kind of uses a shared pointer to common data. If that's what you're trying to express, like, uh, basically if I have a document that my next commit, I change the second half of it, um, my next commit will actually be a pointer. It'll be two pointers, uh, or, you know, something along those lines where the first one goes to the original blob and it like only does the first half of the original blob. And the second one is a pointer to my new, uh, second half. Yeah. That, that's um, so, sort of what I was trying to represent. Cool. Nice. Um, yeah, I think actually in this case though, I think, it, yeah, I think probably the reason Git does that is because it doesn't want to have to apply a bunch of diffs. Um, anytime you want to check out a particular commit, because that could be slow if you have a million commits in your history. But I think here actually, um, it's probably fine to keep a good number of, even like in your local session, I'd probably say you can almost keep all of your, like you basically have your initial state stored. And then you have this diff tree of diff, I guess, yeah, series of diffs that you've made. I think it's probably okay to keep it that way in your entire local session um, because it's not like you're going to need to like very quickly back up to the very start. If you want to back up, you're doing it one at a time every time you click the back button and having each of those um, diffs, you know, we, we have time to apply each of those um, and the user's not going to be slowed down because of it. Yeah, but like I said, if a new person were to open a web connection and open see the document that's currently being edited, because we had been applying the diffs to the to the cached document, that new person will get the um, updated the most recently updated document. Yep, that makes sense. Um, I guess so. In terms of that, like kind of cute, that, yeah, basically that list of edits we've made locally, we do need to think that should only be our own edits, right? And uh, if we just got a got a patch from got a diff from the server because someone else had edited it, we don't want to undo other people's edits. Um, so there's going to be like some separate queues for that, mm-hmm. separate lists. I, I I think Google Doc lets you step back into history and undo other people's changes. If I'm not misremembering, oh, really? okay. yeah, you might okay. need some elevated permissions to be able to do that. But I remember the ability um, to do that. Interesting. Yeah, I guess. The one thing we haven't mentioned yet, which seems like, at least to me, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty clearly going to be a problem is how do we handle, like, what you would almost consider like a merge conflict in Git. Mm-hmm. And I think, I'm actually thinking that, um, you could probably take, I think that that problem has been mitigated by their, the way that they show everyone else's cursor. So if I see your cursors on a letter, I'm pretty unlikely to go there and, start messing with that word because I know there will be problems. I don't think like, you know, we definitely need to handle that case, but I don't think we have to, I think the critical, like that's not as critical of a case because of that. Um, the UX kind of helps with that. So, but I think what we might want to do there is just apply as much of each person's diff as possible. And if there's something that doesn't make sense, um, yeah. I don't know, maybe we just disregard the most recent change or I, I guess, I guess the concern is like, you don't want to, type something and not have it show up. So maybe you just have the most recent change win. I think that's um, actually the most, one of the most interesting parts about Google doc is I don't think, you know, in my experience of using Google doc, I've ever been able to, you know, break it or like, you know, have a merge conflict. Right. And I think the interesting part about how the system des- is designed is that uh, it is very optimistic about edits in the sense that like, um, even if you have multiple concurrent users, it'll assume a correct state. And, you know, there's a, 
uh, principle or an algorithm that sort of backs that, that, um, that allows you to do that. Um, so we can actually do as an exercise, just trying to break, trying to edit, like, you know, the same line at the same time and, you know, see if we yeah, get yeah. things lost. Um, I'm going to start typing again. Yeah. Uh, feel free to just jump in. Yeah. Well, here, why don't you move your mouse to like, let's both move our mouse to the same spot. Like see where I am right there. Yep. Um, let's type, I'll type W E S. You type Kevin. Okay. Ready? Three, two, one, go. So, I mean, that worked pretty well, okay. right? Like Kevin and Wes. So what we're seeing yeah, on the screen is that Kevin and Wes, even though we start at the same place, um, they, they're still f full words that appear next to each other as opposed to, you know, what we think might happen, which is like W K E S E V I N or something like that. Right. Uh, where we're splicing the letters. Um, yeah. yeah so I, I feel like Google handles it pretty well. Yeah. And maybe it's like, if we were trying to replicate this behavior, um, maybe we do something along the lines of, uh, keeping track of like where each person is typing in terms of, um, like in terms of what, I, I guess when that person is typing, they, despite the fact that their document is being updated, their change is being considered as a atomic change. Um, so maybe we don't let their, uh, I guess maybe the idea is like kind of these, these, uh, concurrent edits are kind of, they're serializable in a way. Um, if you remember from like, uh, uh, what do you call it? Like database concurrency principles. Um, serializable means that your two changes, even though they might physically be applied, um, kind of concurrently for performance reasons or for real time reasons, um, the end result is that it looks like you could have applied your changes one after the other and you would have gotten the same result as you got. Um, so that seems like a kind of pro a property that we'd be looking for. Is that kind of serializable nature of it? Yeah, you're definitely on the right track. And so, yeah. And so maybe it is a matter of, um, like if you're, so I guess like if I were to type, Hmm. Now I'm trying to think like what I want to batch the updates. Like how do I get that serializable property here? Um, I guess what might actually help is I'll describe an alternative approach that Google Docs does not use that actually has the merge conflict issue that we described. And I think this is sort of the the process that, you know, the system that you're sort of designing for right now, I'm going to say right away that this is not what Google Docs does because it doesn't have these merge conflicts. Um, so what you're describing mm -hmm. with like, you know, capturing a frame of diffs and sending it back between the client and servers uh, is something called differential synchronization. And a lot of collaborative editing tools actually do this sort of operation. The idea is that, you know, your client maintains a, you know, a version of your document as well as a copy. And the server also, you know, maintains a version of the document as well as a copy. Um, in the beginning, all four documents are the same, right? When you make an edit to your copy, um, that starts deviating from your client original. And then at some point in time, you can capture the diff 
send it back to the server. The server can apply that diff to its own copy and then calculate the diff between its copy and its original and sent and then broadcast that out um, to all other collaborators. Right. So that's sort of the approach that I think you're getting at with your design with, you know, capturing a diff and then resolving merge conflicts when they pop up. One of the downsides that you yeah. sort of kind of are alluding to is that like merge conflicts do pop up and it's fairly tricky to be able to automatically resolve those conflicts. Like even, even, even like, um, you know, uh, get diffing tools, right. Uh, ha- require like human in- intervention to come and like resolve some of the more edge casey uh, differences. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. Yep. So that's, so just to get that out of the way, that is something that a lot of collaborative tools use. Google Docs does not use that, um, that formula. Uh, okay. Um, interesting. Here, let me, let me send you a, um, let me send you something. Um, this is a, uh, a website about a concept that I, I guess we can introduce to the viewers. Uh, it's called operational transformation. Uh, and there's a little demo that you can kind of click through and see. And once you click through the demo, it might make sense as to what Google Docs is doing. Okay. Um. So, so something to try is like try deleting, um, you know, a bunch of text and seeing what happens. Um, so the page that we're on just for the viewer is a demo on operational transformation. Yeah, we'll put the link in the show notes. Um, so I deleted a line and what I saw to the right was like kind of a log of, um, what I did. And yeah, this is kind of, I didn't really vocalize this, but I was kind of thinking like, you need to track things in terms of the indexes of the characters. Um, and so what this did actually was that the delete log it, it produced, it del- it's kind of said delete 14, delete 14, delete 14. That's when I deleted a whole line of characters. And 14 there seems to refer to the um, uh, like 14th character in the table, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's kind of, yeah, I guess the idea here is that you are uh, making your edits, not as edits, like, not as like a diff that you would see from Git, but more as a change log of, at this index, insert this many characters, like, or these particular characters, um, or this index, delete those characters. And then the nice thing about that, I guess, is that if you apply... Those I'm trying to think if you apply those so if two people have an insert that they run at the same time um, targeting a different spot, I guess what you need to do is when you run the first one, it's totally fine, just do it. When you run the second one, you need to run the second one, but make your index um, update that based on the diff, like or based on the number of characters the first person inserted. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, so like sort of looking at a concrete example, like let's assume that we're starting with, you know, um, the text A, B, and C. Um, if user, you know, ones 
wants to like add a character to the beginning called X. Uh, and he, he expects the text to be X, A, B, C. And then user two comes in and wants to delete character A. Um, what happens, you know, if those operations are sort of run um, one after another without accounting for any sort of transformation that needs to be done on the operations? Yeah, so using this design, um, basically the first user would insert, you know, uh, they'd say insert at position zero value X. The second user would say delete um, position zero. Uh, but before we, so we first apply the first user's um, diff. Before we apply the second user's diff, we look and see like how many characters, we basically look and see for index zero, um, what is insert like, uh, I guess, we're basically seeing how many, what is the difference between what I thought the second user thought was index zero and what is actually index zero, right? So how many things have been either inserted or deleted before index zero? And the answer here is one. So now we transform that second user's command to being delete from position one. Um, right. That, and does that seem... That's basically yeah. the essence of it, right? Like, you're not really mm -hmm. running these commands separately as is. You know, the client might, inter might you know, get these commands, but it'll run some sort of transformation saying, hey, like, you know, two commands were run one after another, right? A delete and then an insert. Does the insert need to be transformed in a way to kind of incorporate the fact that this deletion happened? Hmm. And this is a yeah, that makes sense. This is a pretty powerful tool because, like, insertion and deletion sort of represent like most functionality that you would need in like a word processing um, tool, right? Mm -hmm. um, updating is basically just a set of deletions and insertions. And I th I think Google Docs actually has more operations than just insert and delete because you know you're able to insert flowcharts, you know, increase the font size and all of that. But the the principle is I th it, it is still um, the same. Yeah, that makes sense. And I can imagine, like, maybe, I don't know, with font size in particular, like, you might want to apply that. I don't know. I was going to say with font size, um, if someone changes the font size and I start typing, um, we might want, like, the font size to apply uh, to the... Yeah, like, if you first apply font size and then second start inserting... What we've been talking about before is kind of ignoring the effect of that previous, you know, change. But with font size in particular, we might want to let that run through and not try to, like, you know, prevent that, right? So we actually might want to change the the second person's insert to have the applied font size. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. Yeah, I thought I thought this was really cool because I I was thinking about like the merge when I was first thinking about Google Docs. I was thinking about like how does Google Doc just works so flawlessly without, you know, uh, while supporting so many users and like, no, like I, I haven't heard a single bad experience of people saying like, you know, the, the, the thing that I was editing uh, sort of disappeared on me when someone else overwrote it. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty, yeah, it's pretty impressive. It's very impressive. Um, and, you know, I guess going back to kind of, I talked about like people around different parts of the world editing the same documents. Um, I know that, it takes, I think it takes about like, I don't know, one tenth of a second, roughly, to make a round trip around the world um, over, over the internet. So I think 
it's actually not too bad to use the same uh, cache for um, for edits, you know, um, around the world. So maybe you just say, you know, the first user, if he's logging in in Florida, uh, he's probably going to get a web server or you know a data center that's somewhere near Florida to open up um, a copy of his a copy of the uh, of the document, and if someone else, the next person tries to access it. They're gonna to try to. We're gonna to need to route them to Florida to actually get that. So does that make sense? Yeah, I'm sure. So, so it'll probably need to be. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sure there's like some some mechanisms in place to like account for concurrency, right? Because concurrency and like getting the operations in the right order is still very important. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's also another interesting problem to think through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Cool. Are there any other things you wanted to ask about here? Um, yeah, I mean, the other parts we can save for next time. Like, you know, a, a lot of it is, is is fairly straightforward once you've built in the concurrency, which I feel like is the most interesting part. Um, you know, access control as well as file storage. Uh, those are things that we can cover mm-hmm. next time. Cool. Cool. Awesome. Um, so now that the interview is done um how do you think it went i think it went like fairly well given that it's like our first time (laughs) um i i think that this this problem in particular is kind of tricky because you know uh the emphasis is less on like designing the system components to kind of um to kind of um scale out and like represent you know all the different like microservices as well as all the like the components in the system and it's more about like thinking through how the data is actually represented um i think you know some mm-hmm. a, a point of feedback that i might have is that like um and I, I to be honest i've not done a system design interview before so i don't know how it would necessarily go in real life um but i feel like there's some merit to starting with you know designing out around your functionality so if the question is like how do i support collaboration thinking about like what is the data that needs to be stored and moved around and what is the um, mechanism first. And then, you know, sort of after you've gotten that figured out, like scaling out and thinking about, okay, now that I have the core functionality figured out, what are the actual like, um, you know, load balancers and um, services that need to be in place to support this functionality? Yeah, that makes sense. That's, that seems like pretty good advice. Um, I guess it somewhat depends on what the interview is asking, interviewer is asking, but um, at the very least, we can find out um, yeah. by asking. But yeah, that, that makes sense. I think that's probably a better, that's probably a good interviewer ta- tactic as well, is to try to um, hone in on that as well as for the interviewee. So yeah, that's good advice. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. I did feel like I was kind of, I jumped in a direction that wasn't the direction you wanted at first. Um and you kind of pulled me back yeah, I mean, I, to where you wanted me to go. Yeah, I, I think that that was the tricky part because I think a lot of system design interviews kind of revolve around the actual, you know, components being the core of what the question is asking for, right? Um, yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, we need our outro. 